Good afternoon, this is Quintus Curtius, and welcome back to the Fortress of the Mind podcast. And the topic of this podcast is going to be, Is Psychic Phenomena Real? Is Psychic Phenomena Real? I think this is one of those subjects that many people are interested in, but not many like to talk about for fear of being seen as superstitious or odd or eccentric. But it is an important subject. It is an important subject because it is a phenomena that finds a place in nearly every culture of the world. If you go around the world and you examine different tribal societies, advanced societies, you'll find there is an interest universally in psychic phenomena and how that plays into the average person's life. My own experiences with the topic have been part of an adjunct of my travels and my, my studies. I remember when I lived in Korea, and I did live in Korea for a year in the 1990s, uh, I spoke with people who had had experiences with the Korean uh, female shamans, the mudang is what they're called, and these are basically fortune tellers who are able to divine knowledge about events that are not readily apparent. And the people that I talked to were very impressed. They were very impressed. I mean, they commented universally, nearly universally, uh, as to the effectiveness of these diviners. And in many situations, they were unable to explain how these psychics, how these these people were able to know information that they that they knew. And it always generated some interest with me. And also, you know, I just from my experiences with studying Roman history, which readers know is is extensive, uh, the Romans had a the Romans had a similar concept, and the Romans believed in uh, every person basically had a guardian spirit, which was called a genius, G E N I U S is how it, the, this word this Latin word is spelled. Genius was the guardian spirit that every individual person, place, or thing had, it was in some ways like a guardian angel. The genius would follow each man or woman from the time they were born until the time that they entered the grave. And not only did individual living beings have a genius, but also places, whether they were mountain ranges, uh, gorges, landmarks, fields, battlefields, things like that, all had an, a specific spirit of place. Now, before you laugh and before you think that that's amusing, remember that many of the religious customs of Christianity were adopted from pagan antecedents. And in many ways, the Roman concept of the genius was nothing different, nothing nothing more than the current uh, Christian concept of uh, patron saints. You know, every person had a guardian saint or a a, uh, uh, a patron saint or uh, adopted a, a specific saint as a protector from, from evil doing. And incidentally, along these lines, the, the Catholic Church's doctrine of canonization is a direct import from the Roman practice of uh, deification. There were emperors who uh, uh, 
who, after they left office, were deified by the Senate. They would vote and they would actually confer this honor on them that they would they would be considered deified. Now, obviously, they weren't the Romans weren't stupid. They knew that these these rulers weren't gods, literally, but it was a way of offering the highest respect of the state to them because the Roman religion was in many ways a state religion. It was a state religion and deification was a way of conferring that honor just in the same way that the Catholic Church canonizes certain of its um, its, uh, its practitioners or followers to confer that ultimate respect on on the faithful. So anyway, the point is that there is there is such a thing, I think, as psychic phenomena that's observed in all the different cultures of the world. And in my travels to Brazil, I've also spoken with friends who have had experiences in the Amazon with these uh, ayahuasca rituals where they uh, ingest these different hallucinogenic drugs and they have experiences. I've never done that, but I've talked to people who have done it. And it always is very fascinating to hear their discussions about it because there is something there or they believe all of them universally believe that there is something there and just on a common sense basis we have to assume that these similar types of spiritual phenomena that are that are observed all over the world there must be something to them there must be some basis there that practitioners find useful and i know just from reading about the um the late Roman Emperor Julian, who is popularly known as Julian the Apostate, he was a big believer in theurgy. Theurgy was the the um, is the idea that uh, the, their performance of religious rituals can somehow bring a person closer to the divine. And late late uh, pagan antiquity had a lot of these mystery religions, like uh, the cult of Mithras, Orpheus, Isis, and these ritual these these practices all involved theurgic rituals. And in Julian's case, he was actually initiated into these fraternities where they would uh, sacrifice animals to the, the gods. Uh, the bull particularly was, was one that was used. And they would perform these, these magical rites. Uh, the, these were the, the, um, the Mithraic mysteries and the Orphic mysteries. And we don't know very much about these rituals because the membership in these organizations was kept secret but archaeologists have discovered some remnants of these uh, these places where these rituals were performed at and uh, it's very interesting and i think it's something that um, people who are interested in this subject should should investigate they might find uh, they might find uh, things there that are that are worth looking at but when all is said and done i think my my personal opinion and my personal opinion regarding psychic phenomena I think is best summarized by author Michael Crichton, who I mentioned in a previous podcast. He was a famous movie director, writer. He died recently, I think in the uh, in the late 90s. And in his book Travels, which I recommend, one of the last chapters of his book, he uh, has a chapter called Direct Experience. And in this chapter, he summarizes his view of psychic phenomena and what he believes is real and what he believes is not real. And it's worth, I think it's worth reading. So I'm going to read a little bit of what he says here because I think 
his position summarizes my own position. This is what these are the things he believes about about the reality or unreality of psychic phenomena. He says, so I decided to summarize the conclusions I had drawn from all these experiences over all these years. I got out a piece of paper and I listed them. I was surprised to find there wasn't much after all. 1. Consciousness has legitimate dimensions not yet guessed at. The varieties of consciousness are considerably more diverse and contradictory than I had previously acknowledged. I am not persuaded that any of these states of consciousness has metaphysical meaning any more than I am persuaded I had a real entity attached to me. I am not convinced of entities at all, but I acknowledge that on some level the difference between a real entity and a metaphorical consciousness itself is tremendously powerful. I'm sorry, I misread that. He says, but I acknowledge that on some level, the difference between a real entity and a metaphorical entity may be slight indeed. I'm obliged to remember that consciousness itself is tremendously powerful. People in every culture can become crippled or blind or even die from beliefs alone. To me, all the varieties of consciousness constitute a landscape of the mind, similar to the physical landscape of our planet. I find this landscape of consciousness rewarding to explore. I recognize that exploration of these different states is a personal interest of mine, and not everybody shares that interest. But I feel there is more than private value in such explorations. I suspect that in the future, studying the varieties of consciousness will have increasing practical importance in such areas as treating illnesses, maintaining health, and promoting creativity. Number two, at least some psychic phenomena are real. Psychic phenomena are generally categorized as telepathy, that is communication between minds, clairvoyance, or perception at a distance, precognition, that is perception of events before they occur, and psychokinesis, which is influencing objects or events by thought alone. This, in fact, covers a rather broad range of claims and broadly overlapping phenomena. I have concluded that some people have the ability to know about past and future events in a manner that is not at present explicable. To me, the most convincing evidence for such ability comes from rather trivial information. I suspect that everybody has a degree of psychic ability, just as everybody has a degree of athletic or artistic ability. Some people have special gifts. Other people have a particular interest that leads them to develop their abilities but the phenomena itself is ordinary and widespread. I have no idea of the limits of psychic ability. I don't know, for example, whether someone can move an object simply by thinking about it. I don't even know how to go, go about assessing such an idea, since I have no theory to explain psychic phenomena in general. And number three, this is the third of his conclusions, there are energies associated with the human body that are not yet understood. These energies can be felt and seen, and they are related to healing, sickness, and health. Although the existence of these body energies is formally accepted in some theoretical systems, such as those of Indian yogis and Chinese acupuncturists, they are not yet accepted in Western medical systems. So these are his conclusions. These were his conclusions regarding the reality or 
unreality of psychic phenomena. And I found these to be very good. You know, he, he basically also says, uh, you know, towards the end of the chapter that he has, I have many friends from scientific backgrounds who, who accept me with bemused toleration. They like me, dis- they like me despite my views, but I have learned not to debate with them anymore. Unless you are willing to experience these things yourself, even so mundane a phenomenon as meditation sounds fanciful and absurd. From my own point of view, these scientists are exactly like the New Guinea tribesmen who refuse to believe the metal birds in the sky contain people, that is, airplanes. How can you argue with them? Unless you're willing to go to the airport and see for yourselves, no discussion is really possible. And this is true. This is true. People are either interested in these things or they are not. And if they are interested in these things, they will find through their examinations and through their travels and through their studies, kind of like how I found, that there is something to this stuff. Now, how much there is, we don't know. How much of it is true, how much of it is a product of our imaginations, or how much of it, how much of it is just fanciful thinking, is not really clear. But there is something there. I think we can conclude that some phenomena and an interest which has been around for thousands and thousands of years and which is found in every culture of the world, must have some basis, some observable basis, in fact. You know, I was recently uh, been interested in the um, the study of late Neoplatonism. And this is a, a doctrine that um, was popular in late antiquity and uh, subse- subsequently became incorporated into many of the belief systems and philosophical systems of Western Europe and the Middle East. And one of the branches of Neoplatonism was theurgy. And theurgy is the idea that the idea that a person can achieve union with the divine through the practice of specific rituals. And it's it's distinguished from classical Neoplatonism in the sense that uh, it calls for the performance of these certain rituals. Now, I'm not really a, fa- a big fan of this doctrine. I don't really believe a lot of this stuff, but I found reading about it has been very productive. And I'm holding in my hand a copy of uh, the source book of Theurgy, which is um, a book called On the Mysteries by the author Iamblichus. And his name is spelled I-M-B-L-I-C-H-U-S. Iamblichus. And... I found from reading this book, which is very mystical, very very strange book, but very interesting, the type of the type of book that I, I find interesting. There are a lot of things in here that seem to connect and seem to jive with the things I've observed and read about psychic phenomena. And let me go through a few of those here. One of the things that first jumped out at me and gained my attention was his how similar a lot of his doctrines were with Plato's doctrines, especially the doctrine found in Plato's Timaeus, sections uh, 30a through e, that the universe is basically one single living being. The universe is, is a connected living entity, a connected living organism. And before you laugh, before people mock these ideas, keep in mind that modern science in many ways 
arguably supports this idea. I mean, we just found out recently, just earlier this month, or was it last month, I'm not sure, that scientists have discovered the existence of gravity waves. And it seems like with every passing decade, cosmologists and scientists, physicists, are coming up with new theories that bind together the universe in ways that were never previously thought before. And it may be even conceivable at some point in the future that there may be, may be some sort of unified field theory discovered which will be able to explain all the phenomena of the universe. And that was one of Einstein's holy grails that he spent many years of his life trying to pursue with no success. We don't know. But what we do know is that everything affects everything else. And there's a section here in Iamblichus's, uh On the Mysteries. And in uh, the Latin title is De Mysteries. And this is uh, Book 4, Section 12, which supports what I just said. And I'll just read this to you. It says, One should nevertheless give a more particular example. One, it says, uh, One should nevertheless give a more particular examination to these very questions, how they come about and what may be their rationale. First of all, we must bear in mind that the universe is a single living being. The parts within it are spatially distinct, but strive toward each other by virtue of their single nature. The force of cohesion in the universe and the cause of their blending draws the parts naturally towards mingling with one another. This force, however, can be artificially aroused and intensified more than is proper. In and of itself, this force and that tension extending throughout the cosmos which derives from it, is good and a cause of fulfillment, coordinates community and union and symmetry, and by its unity introduces an indissoluble principle of love, dominating all things, both that exist eternally and that come into being. And, you know, this is a fantastic summation, not only of the doctrines of Plato's Timaeus, but also of a lot of the observed phenomena of the psychics and even the mystics. You know, I've also studied a lot of the mystical philosophers. Um, and um, we find that a lot of these thinkers and practitioners, they all seem to be saying, at least to me, many of the same things in different ways. They're saying the same things, they're repeating the same doctrines, but maybe in different ways. So that, again, that inclines me to believe that there must be something to these things. They would not all be arriving at the same conclusions if they were all delusional. And another great quote from Iamblichus, and this is Book 3, Section 31, he says this, he says, Whoever are gods in the true sense, they alone are the givers of good things and associate only with good men and mingle with those purified by the sacred science and they remove from them every vice and passion. When these shine forth, that which is evil and demonic disappears and makes way for superior beings, just as darkness before light, and does not trouble the theurgists even occasionally. Indeed, they receive from it every virtue and become perfectly good and orderly. They are freed from passions and from every unruly impulse, and are purified from godless and impious habits. But as many as are themselves guilty of crime, they fall upon and assault the divine in a lawless and disorderly manner, and, 
owing to the debility of their proper activity or the deficiency of their inherent power, are not able to attain to the gods. Or, as they are excluded from association with undefiled spirits because of these pollutions, they thus attach themselves to evil spirits, and, being filled by them with the most evil inspiration, they become evil and unholy, gorged with licentious pleasures, full of vice, eager for habits foreign to the gods, and, to sum up, they become akin to the wicked demons to whom they have become attached. And you know, what I like about that passage is it re-emphasizes many of the things that the psychics and the mystics have said that we all have a guardian spirit. We all have a spirit that inures to ourselves, that follows us. And if you put out garbage into the world, you will get back garbage. If you adopt evil thoughts, ideas, practices, you will attract other evil people, other corrupted people, other polluted people. And this is a spiritual truth as profound and as as uncontestable as one plus one equals two. You know, I wrote an article on my website last year, and the title of it was, uh, you know, Beauty Attracts Beauty and Ugly Attracts Ugly. And it's the same thing that Iamblichus is saying in that passage. We all have within ourselves the power to do good both, the, the power to do both good or evil. And it is us, ultimately, who are the final decision makers in that process. If we choose to go down the path of wickedness and vice, we will find many companions along that path. And implicit in this warning is Iamblichus's idea that if we can purify ourselves of these evil thoughts and designs, we can become almost like gods. And he says, for from, for from these every evil spirit retreats and is wholly overthrown, and every evil and every passion is wholly removed, and a pure participation in the goods is present in those purified, and they are filled from above with the fire of truth. For them no hindrance from evil spirits arises, nor any impediment for the goods of the soul. Not yet does any delusion or flattery or enjoyment of vapors or the force of violence cause much annoyance to them. This, then, is one kind of mantic, which is undefiled and sacerdotal, and truly divine. So, this quote here that I just read is from Book 3, Section 31. And again, the idea that if we can adopt these good thoughts and adopt these good practices, then we can accede to the divine. So whether we choose to do this through personal discipline, through physical fitness, through diet, through health, through rituals, it doesn't really matter what the pathway is. It's the goal that matters. So we can laugh at and make fun of all these different things, but I think in this podcast I've tried to lay out as much as I'm prepared to believe or disbelieve about psychic phenomena, at least at this stage in my life. And maybe that will change. But I like, I would urge listeners to read Michael Crichton's travels and maybe explore some of the the um, the doctrines of Neoplatonism, which I've written about also in uh, the chapter of one of my books in Pantheon. I talked about it a little bit. 
And I think readers or listeners may find this to be the type of mind-expanding direction that will help them uh, develop their creativity and their thought processes to achieve uh, greater benefits in their own lives. This will conclude the Fortress of the Mind podcast for today. I'm Quintus Curtius. Good night.